I love the music for this video. It's, uh, it's awesome. We're going to talk about blended families uh, today, and I know a lot of you out there are like, I'm not a part of the blended family. I promise there's something for families. There's something for people who aren't married. Uh, there's going to be good stuff today. You know, the thing with families is sometimes they fight, and uh, I don't mean to cause a ruckus today, but I just wanted to point out that my team won yesterday, uh, so wreck them. Yeah, can I get an amen? Thank you. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you Longhorn fans are like, I am leaving and not listening to this guy anymore. Sit down. We're going to, I sorry, I, I told Amanda, I said, if they pull this out, I, ha I mean, come on, guys. It's first time since 2008 that Tech has beaten Texas in Lubbock. Give me a minute here, okay? I haven't pulled out this shirt since uh, the basketball team in 2019 made it to uh, the national championship game. So I felt appropriate to wear it again today. Um, so a couple quick things before uh, we dive into the message today. Next Sunday, we are having Revive Worship Night. Um, thank you. I, I love your excitement. Um, it's, uh, it, we're do, we've been doing them on Wednesday evenings. We're going to do it next Sunday evening at 530. And I know a lot of you have kids that play sports and things like that. So um, hopefully you'll be done by then. But be here. We'll have it at 530. This is going to be kind of a, a different revive than you're used to. Um, it's going to be like a, a familiar uh, home cooking um, chicken soup for the soul type things. A lot of things that are familiar, familiar songs. And uh, this will be just a great time for your soul to be refreshed. So next Sunday at 530, uh, bring your friends, bring your kids, bring everybody. We're going to have a wonderful time. One more thing I want to mention. Uh, we are aware that it is starting to get a little cramped in here on uh, Sunday morning. And uh, we as a staff are meeting. We're discussing what we want to do. You know, if you've been here for any length of time, you know that not too long ago we had two services. Um, so we are looking at all options. But what can you do to help out? Number one, uh, be early. Uh, try not to leave open seats in the middle here because it's hard for people to find, you know, I don't know, maybe find someone in carpool with them, you know? Um, no, I'm kidding. Don't do that. I mean, you can do that, but I, we can't. We have six in our family. There's no carpooling. Um, but uh, we, we are aware. Now, next Sunday is Baptism Sunday and baby dedication. There are 16 or 17 people being baptized, which is awesome. But now you multiply each one of those by all the family members that are going to come watch them, plus the three little ones that are being dedicated. And you know that this room is going to be packed. So the students will be in here. Um, so we're going to make them sit on the floor because they're young and they can do that. Uh, Michael, if you want to sit on the floor, it's fine. I'm not going to stop you. Um, but uh, be here early next week. You, you don't want to be later. You, you, you may have a hard time finding a seat. It is a lot of fun when it's packed in here like that on a day uh, like next Sunday. So just wanted to point that out. Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about blended families today. Um, last weekend, Amanda and I had the privilege of flying to Dallas. We had a very quick trip. We flew out at, uh, I think it was 7.55 Friday night. Um, and of course, as soon as we left the airport, we had to go straight to Cheesecake Factory and um, stuff ourselves as much as we could. But I think by the time we got to our hotel room, it was like 1130. Um, and then the conference started at 9 a.m. at the King's University in Southlake, which is just across the street from Gateway Church. 
and we spent all day at that conference and then got to go to Gateway Church for their four o'clock service on Saturday. Now, I have a feeling if we did a four o'clock service here, um, there'd be like seven of us. Uh, but let me tell you, even in the middle of college football, four o'clock at Gateway Church on a Saturday is like 2,000 people. And it was phenomenal. I mean, it was, it was so great. I don't get the, the opportunity very often to be on the other side of the stage. Um, so it was great to hear the worship. It was great to hear Pastor Robert Morris. And it was great to spend all day Saturday learning um, how to be a better family, a better blend family, a better spouse. And so I want to share some of those things that we learned last week with you today. And like I said, this, this doesn't just pertain to blended families or families or marriages. There are going to be practical applications that everybody in this room can take from this. One thing I do want to point out is we are planning a marriage retreat in February of next year. We're going to have details coming soon, but it will be like a Friday night, Saturday type of a thing. Uh, we're really excited about it, so just kind of jot that down, and we will get you more information uh, the closer that comes. I want to start out today, and I want to share with you something that Jimmy Evans, and many of you are probably familiar with that name, longtime pastor at, at Trinity Fellowship Church, shared with us. You know, he has, um, he and his wife Karen have talked about marriage for years and years and years. And he shared something last week, five keys to a successful marriage. So husbands, write this down, Okay. This is good for you, and, and ladies, don't hit them too hard, all right? So the first thing that he said is that you have to have the right tone when you're talking to your spouse. And, and, and I remember, settle down, Melina. Um, I remember when I was a kid, my mom used to always tell me, Brad, you need to be careful with your tone. I know you didn't mean it this way, but the way that you just said that sounded like you were mad or you were annoyed. And so I always in my head, I'm like, have to think about how I'm saying it. And he used the example if, um, you know, if, if Amanda asked me to go take out the trash. And it's just four words, okay, I'll do it. But it depends on the tone that I use. So she says, hey, you know, honey, will you go take out the trash? And I'm like, okay, I'll do it. There's no fight that's about to happen. But if I respond with, okay, I'll do it. You know, like I probably would have in the middle of the fourth quarter of the Tech-Texas game yesterday had I been asked to do that. Or even worse, that was the frustrated version with, okay, I'll do it. Same words, said three different ways, have three different meanings. And we have to remember to always use the right tone. Number two, we have to spend enough time together. Now, Jimmy Evans says that you need to spend 30 to 60 minutes of face-to-face -face time a day with your spouse. And at least five minutes of intimate communication, meaning not talking about the day at work, not talking about weather, not talking about, you know, what kid has to be where, because that is 98% of Amanda and, and my conversation is which kid has to be where at what time on what day, because we have four in four different schools from pre-K to elementary to middle school to high school, it is a parent's worst nightmare, and I need prayer. So, our time that we do that is when they go to bed. We make sure, no matter how old they are, that they can stay up as late as they want. Avery, we don't make her go to bed at a certain time. The rule is, by 8.30, you have to be in your room, though. If you want to watch TV, if you want to talk to your friends, knock yourself out, leave us alone, all right? Because children are nothing but little terrorists who suck the time out of you. 
Am I wrong? Thank you. I mean, I, Melina and I cross paths when I pick Avery up from work, and she's dropping Dylan off at rock climbing, and it's just constantly, and, and that's what we do. So you have to carve out time for your spouse. Number three, you have to have an atmosphere of trust. You have to be unselfish. You have to be a good listener, and we as men are not always great at that. We cannot multitask. If I'm looking at my phone and she is telling me something, I'm not hearing her. So we have to be good listeners. We also have to be safe in conflict, meaning don't trigger your spouse just because you know what upsets them. Be safe. Is this for you or James? Okay. <laughs> no triggering, okay? And then you also have to have an atmosphere of truth, okay? Now, this, this does not apply to the honey, does this dress make my, no, lie, always. But, actually, Amanda has these pair of shoes, these new pair of shoes she got, and I don't like them, and she loves them, and she wants others, and she's showing me last night, I'm like, nope, nope, nope. Um, I was being truthful to her, and I think she ordered them anyway, because she doesn't care, and that's okay, because this is a safe place, okay? The atmosphere of truth, we have to be honest in love. That tone thing comes back here again, honest in love. And then last, we have to have a team spirit. In our house, there are more kids than there are parents. We are up against the wall, all right? We are outnumbered. We have to work together and not against each other. We, we have to always... We're constantly communicating about schedules so we know who to get where. Tomorrow we've got craziness because we have a football game at 445 and a choir concert at 730, and we've got to divide and conquer. So I thought these five things that Jimmy Evans said, I, was, I mean, I was writing them down. I, this is good stuff. And we do most of this, but I think sometimes we, we forget, and, and we kind of go our own way and get a little selfish and don't do these. So this is a picture of us when we got married, February the 21st, 2014. And um, our, th our three little Jackson was, was just two. This has been a long time. This is in the front yard of um, Amanda's grandparents' house. Now, you see, we got married because we wanted to date each other. Because with three kids, there's no time for that. It's a joke, people. Come on. So they were like, wow, really? It was just more convenient to be married than not. So we like, you know what? Let's do it. So we had, we, we came in, she came in with two boys and I came in with a daughter and we got married um, eight and a half years ago. And, and it's, it's been great. I mean, it's not always great. I mean, no marriage, no relationship is always great. How, do you know this, that marriage is hard? I mean, everyone, I think, thinks they're going to, they get married and they think, oh, we're so in love. And he or she will never make me mad. And I don't care that they do that. I just... Love conquers all. No, it doesn't. It's not true. That is a lie that the world tells us. Because once that wears off, then what do you have? They annoy the fire out of you. Everything they do annoys you. Marriage is hard. And then you think, you know what we need? We need a kid. And then you have one of those. And guess what? Parenting is harder. Because there is no class you take. They let you leave with a tiny human from the hospital. Like, what are they thinking? And then you leave and you're just trying to figure it out. But guess what? Blending families, that's not a word, but it's true, is harderest. 
Blending families is the hardest thing in the world to do. You know why? Because that isn't the way God intended it to be. Now, that doesn't mean it's wrong. That's just was not a part of God's perfect plan. And so it takes a lot of faith and a lot of reliance on God to do it. And it doesn't always work out. It's hard. It is so hard. You got to hear from other families and some challenges that they have faced, some blessings that they have seen. It can be done, but God always has to stay first. So last week at the conference, and I can't remember the speaker's name. He's actually the guy who was like the president of the King's University, and he's at a church in Oklahoma City, I think. And he told us this story. Now, how many of you have ever like regularly read the book of Haggai? I mean, is that like something in your quiet time reading? Typically not. It's in the Old Testament, if you're not aware. And he told us the story of a guy named Zerubbabel. Yeah, it's a fun, it's fun to say, actually. Um, and so I want to read this. Haggai is only two chapters, and it's not going to be on the screen. And I'm going to use my phone, so don't don't be upset with me for that, but I want to read a version of the Bible that I don't have, and so that's why I'm using my phone. It's the contemporary English version. Otherwise, I would be done reading this, and you'd be like, okay, I don't know what you just said. Um, Haggai was a prophet, and uh, the basic um, gist of this heading into it, we all know the story about how the Israelites were in exile, and the temple had been destroyed, and so they are no longer in exile, and they need to rebuild the temple, okay? So that's kind of where we are. Haggai chapter 1, verse 1. On the first day of the sixth month of the second year that Darius was king of Persia, the Lord told Haggai the prophet to speak his message to the governor of Judah and to the high priest. So Haggai told Governor Zerubbabel and high priest Joshua that the Lord all-powerful had said to them and to the people, You say this isn't the right time to build a temple for me. But is it right for you to live in expensive houses while my temple is a pile of ruins? Just look at what's happening. You harvest less than you plant. You never have enough to eat or drink. Your clothes don't keep you warm, and your wages are stored in bags full of holes. Think about what I've said. But first, go to the hills and get wood for my temple, so I can take pride in it and be worshipped there. You expected much, but received only a little. And when you brought it home, I made that little disappear. Why have I done this? It's because you hurry off to build your own houses, while my temple is still in ruins. That's also why the dew doesn't fall and your harvest fails. And so, at my command, everything will become barren. Your farmland and pastures, your vineyards and olive trees, your animals and you yourselves, all your hard work will be for nothing. Zerubbabel and Joshua, together with the others who had returned from exile in Babylonia, obeyed the Lord's message spoken by his prophet Haggai, and they started showing proper respect for the Lord. Haggai then told them that the Lord had promised to be with them. So the Lord God all-powerful made everyone eager to work on his temple, especially Zerubbabel and Joshua. And the work began on the 24th day of that same month. Chapter 2. On the 21st day of the next month, the Lord told Haggai the prophet to speak this message to Governor Zerubbabel, High Priest Joshua, and everyone else. Does anyone remember how glorious this temple used to be? Now it looks like nothing. But cheer up, because I, the Lord All-Powerful, will be here to help you with the work. Just as I promised your ancestors when I brought them out of Egypt. Don't worry, my spirit is right here with you. Soon I will again shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake the nations, and their treasures will be brought here. 
Then the brightness of my glory will fill this temple. All silver and gold belong to me, and I promise that this new temple will be more glorious than the first one. I will also bless this city with peace. On the 24th day of the ninth month, the Lord God All-Powerful told the prophet Haggai to ask the priests for their opinion on the following matters. Suppose meat ready to be sacrificed to God is being carried in the folds of someone's clothing, and the clothing rubs against some bread or stew or wine or olive oil or any other food. Would those foods that were touched then become acceptable for sacrifice? Of course not, the priests answered. Then Haggai said, well, suppose someone has touched a dead body and is considered unacceptable to worship God. If that person touches these foods, would they become unclean? Well, of course they would, the priests answered. So the Lord told Haggai to say, that's how it is with this entire nation. Everything you do and every sacrifice you offer is unacceptable to me. But from now on, things will get better. Before you started laying the foundation for the temple, you recalled what life was like in the past. When you wanted 200 kilograms, 200 kilograms of wheat, there were only 10. And when you wanted 50 jars of wine, there were only 20. I made all of your hard work useless by sending mildew, mold, and hail, but you still didn't return to me, your Lord. Today, you have completed the foundation for my temple, so listen to what your future will be like. Although you have not yet harvested any grain, grapes, figs, pomegranates, or olives, I will richly bless you in the days ahead. That same day, the Lord spoke to Haggai again and said, Tell Governor Zerubbabel of Judah that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth and wipe out kings and their kingdoms. I will overturn war chariots, and then cavalry troops will start slaughtering each other. But tell my servant Zerubbabel that I, the Lord all-powerful, have chosen him, and he will rule in my name. Now I know we read through those two chapters, and you're, you're asking yourself, what does this have to do with blended families or with marriage? There's a couple principles in here that I think we can all use. So what are some of the lessons from this that we can look at? Number one, God is always with us. There's nothing that you can do to make that change. God is always with us. Number two, trials in our lives are an invitation for us to turn to God. How many of you find that when there's things going on in your life that suddenly your prayer life becomes more powerful? It's like when things are going good, we think, look what I've done. And so we don't talk to God as much. But then the second something happens and we need something, it's so much easier to go to God. Those trials in our lives are simply an invitation for us to do that. God blesses us because he chooses to, not because we deserve it. We deserve death. We deserve nothing. But yet, God still chooses to bless. And in return, we should choose to praise him. The Lord keeps his promises, doesn't he? Do you find that to be true in your life? That doesn't mean that everything always happens the way we want it to. But I know I have found that the Lord always keeps his promises. Just like the Israelites, if we're not careful, the busyness of our lives can crowd out God. I see that every day in our life. Four kids, four schools, all their extracurricular activities, all their friends, all the things they want to do. And I mean, we are going every which direction. And then get in bed at night and lay down and just exhale. But even when we're busy and even when we crowd out God, he's still there. He still keeps his promises. 
So what is the takeaway from this? Number one, have the right priorities. You know, that sounds easy, and we know what the right priorities are, but so many times we, we get away from that, and we start doing other things, and we become selfish. But if you found out that when you obey God, God asks you to do something and you do it, that he empowers you, that he gives you the strength to do it, even when you think you can't. And then when we're obedient, God's promises are fulfilled. Blending families is hard. Marriage is hard. Relationships are hard. Life in general is hard. Now, there was a verse that was in Haggai, and I want to read it this time in the NIV version. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the, the Lord Almighty. The way that this verse spoke to me, and I, I want to encourage you out there this morning, that regardless of where you are in your life, regardless of what you have done, whether you're divorced and remarried, whether you've made a terrible mistake in your past that you can't seem to let go of. If you, first of all, if you ask the Lord for forgiveness, he's gonna forgive you and then you can move on, stop carrying it with you. But this spoke to me because from the perspective of a blended family, I know there are times that I think, what did I do? I was married before and it, it got messed up and I, I'm, I'm remarried now and I, I know the Lord has blessed us, but somehow you tell yourself or the enemy comes to you and says, you're not good enough. Look what you did. Look what you did in the past. You're half of what you used to be. But Haggai 2.9 says the glory of this present house where I am right now will be greater than the glory of the former house. The Lord said that. And in this place, I will grant peace. So whether you're a blended family, a traditional family, single, leave the past in the past. I've never seen that verse before and it just I mean it's like it hit me in the head and I could just hear the Lord saying Brad that stuff doesn't matter it's in the past the glory of where you are right now in the present will be far greater than where you were I can still use all the mess ups for my glory we just need to surrender to him we need to surrender our families. We need to surrender our priorities, our lives. We need to let the Lord have his way in our lives. So I wanna challenge you this morning. There's gonna be people come up here in just a minute that are ready and willing to pray. And we've been doing this more and more often and every week. And sometimes they stand up here and uh, no one comes. And sometimes a few people come. But I wanna open this up this morning for people who need prayer and don't be afraid. Don't worry about your past or who, uh, what anyone is gonna think about you. We need to surrender. 
to him. So come forward this morning. Maybe you're a blended family and and things are hard and and you just want someone to pray over you. That is an encouragement to you. Be willing to do it. Maybe your marriage needs prayer. Come forward and let someone pray over you. Maybe there's something else going on in your life and you made a mistake in the past and you aren't quite sure what to do and don't know how to let go. Come forward. Let someone pray for you. There is power in prayer and there's power when you hear somebody praying for you. So I'm going to ask you guys this morning to just stay seated. Those of you that are going to come up, I want to ask you to go ahead and do that if you're going to be up here praying for people. Jesse is going to sing this song called I Surrender, and I want that to be our prayer today. Just say, here I am, Lord, down on my knees again, and I am ready to surrender to you. Father, we pray this morning that you would give each one of us in this room a heart of surrender that we would know that we cannot do anything without you. Help us to have the right priorities. Help us to to put away the the self-pity and the shame based on anything on our past and be willing to step away from that and walk towards you because you tell us that the glory of this present house will far exceed and be far greater than the glory of the past. And we thank you for that, Lord. We surrender to you this morning. In your precious name, I pray.